All right, ladies, we're going to go ahead and get started. I'm so sorry to ruin all the wonderful conversation, but you're going to get plenty of chances to talk a little bit later tonight and then also after the night is over. So we'll keep coming back to all of this stuff. But I love that everybody is diving in and catching up um, and getting to know one another. I want to go ahead and start by telling you a little bit about me. Uh, my name is Hannah, and I am a leader here in Crash. And the teachers have um, a little tradition of telling some random facts about ourselves. So I'm going to continue that tradition. And I have three facts for you about me. Um, the first one, that's a little bit odd. Um, it's, do you ever have, like, daymares? It, I mean, obviously, it's a, a nightmare that happens during the day, anything like that. Uh, so for me, it's like I'll have like a, a vision of something and then like my whole body like shudders uncontrollably for just a second. Um, I have daymares about garbage disposals. Super random thing, right? So like, I, I, and I can't control it. I'll just have a, like the image of a garbage disposal pop up in my mind and then like I just have like, ch like chills, like shivers run through my body. Um, and what's interesting about it is my brother has the exact same thing. We, well, it's weird that we talked about it. But then also that he has this same thing. And so we haven't figured out what it is. I mean, maybe our mom just like really drilled into us, like stay away from the garbage disposal. But we both think about garbage disposals and then uncontrollably shake at random times throughout the day. So that's one random fact. Um, right. So... See, I thought that was the mild random fact. Here's the really weird random fact. Um, so this was mentioned at a, a leader's meeting recently, but um, I really love the clicking sound that high heels make when you walk. You know, that's not the weird part. Um, so I love that. But sometimes, like, if I'm wearing flats or if I'm, like, on carpet or something and there isn't a, a sound, there's no clicking, I'll actually, like, subconsciously start making the noise with my mouth. And so, like, I'll be walking, you don't hear anything, and you'll just hear me... Like, I'll just do it. Um, so every once in a while, super weird. And so now that you know, like, the weird things about me, I have a kind of normal fact for you. Um, and the normal fact is that I wrote this study. And so um, when you read, when you're doing your homework, when you're reading through all this stuff, any stories you hear are from my perspective. So you have kind of a name with a face now. Um, if you have any weird complaints, you can come and talk to me, and we'll try to work through them. Um, but what I want to do right now is tell you a little bit about how this study came to be. Uh, but I'm going to start by praying. So pray with me. Holy God, you are high and exalted. You know everything. You don't need to be taught. You just know it. And you love us. And so you are the ultimate teacher. And we thank you for that. And I ask that you teach tonight. God, I ask that you give me your words to speak. And Holy Spirit, you um, illuminate things for us. You show us things. And I ask that you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts as we follow you. And Jesus, you are the ultimate example. And so um, we ask for help as we follow you in obedience. May we grow up tonight that we wouldn't be tossed by any wind of doctrine, but that we would grow up into maturity into you. And it is in your name that I pray. Amen. So a little bit about how this study came to be. Um, I'm a student currently, so I guess that's a fourth fact about me. Um, I am a student at Liberty, and I'm um, working on a degree in worship studies. 
So this past summer, I was in a class, and we had a guest lecturer come, and his name is Dr. Robert Morgan. And you might know him if you've ever read any of those Then Sings My Soul books, if you've ever seen those. He, um, he is a theologian, he is a pastor, he's a gifted speaker, and he also has an obsession with the origin of Christian hymns. And so um, I, they're really very interesting books if you like hymns. Um, but he was in our class talking about the nature of discipleship. And in his lecture, he said that discipleship involves five components. The heart, the head, habits, holiness, and heralding. And so I want to walk through those for a second. He said the heart. The heart is what happens when you make Jesus the center of your life. And everything begins to revolve around him. There's feelings involved there. There's a desire there. So for most of us, when we accepted Christ, it started with a, an urge. It started with a feeling. It started with our heart. The second component, he said, is our head. And that's theology. That's the study of God and the study of the things of God. So all of a sudden, we've moved from this feeling to, I want to know more about this person with whom I feel so much. So we have our heart, we have our head, and then he said we have habits. And our habits is putting our hearts and our heads into action. Um, Usually this is practicing the presence of God, and that's through things like spiritual disciplines. That's reading our Bible. That's um, consistently engaging in corporate worship. That's things like fasting, things like memorizing scripture. So those are our habits, our habits. The next component is holiness. And holiness is living out that lifestyle, our speech and our actions. And then the fifth component is heralding, and that's praising and proclaiming God. And so he was walking through all of those, and if you notice, they kind of build on one another. it's not an exact science, but the majority of us, when we accepted Christ, we had a feeling which led to us learning more about God, which then leads us to practicing, which leads to our lives being changed in holiness, which leads other people to see the difference, and then we end up proclaiming and praising God. So it all kind of works in a progression. But again, it's not an exact science, so they build on one another. So, for, for instance... These days, if I learn something new about God, I often find that my emotions, my heart towards him changes. It also affects my praise. So if my praise, if I am in an intense praise session with him, my emotions tend to be involved. So while they build on each other, they also strengthen one another. So um, as Dr. Morgan was talking about this lecture, he moved on to talk about his main topic, which was discipleship. And um, I kind of stopped there because as I was listening to it, I I realized something was off with me um, because I knew I I had the heart. I got that part. I've got the emotional part. And I knew that I had some head knowledge, and that was good. Um, But my habits seemed to be missing. And my holiness was pretty difficult, living it out pretty hard. And for that matter, my heralding focused a lot on myself. Um, And I noticed that I was struggling with the same problems over and over and over again. You know, those things like those anxiety thoughts that would pop up in my mind that I just couldn't seem to quit. And I'd be like, you know, but I I know there's freedom. I know there's freedom, but I can't seem to quit them. Um, Sins that I continue to struggle with. 
My heart longed for freedom, and my head knew that there was freedom to be had. But what I realized in that lecture was I wasn't experiencing it because my heart and my head weren't enough to grow in Christ. Um, And it was through this I realized that I needed to develop my habits in order for the holiness and heralding to flow freely and rightly. So you'll notice I've been using some motions as we go through. Some of them are pretty self-explanatory, I would think. Um, While our pumping, beating heart isn't actually the emotional holder, but we associate our heart with emotions. So we've got a heart right here. Your head is what where your brain is, hopefully. And so you're thinking with your head. You're learning in your brain right here. Holiness is these outward actions that are going to be seen, living a life of holiness. It's your life. It's your speech. It's what you do. It comes out this way to others. And then heralding, we are lifting our praise to God. So, but the one that you probably haven't seen before, this is habits right here. Um, And I love this one right here because habits is actually, it's taken from American Sign Language, and it's an action, because our habits are, in fact, an action. It's something that we have to work with. And in American Sign Language, uh, which I'm sure I'm butchering it for whoever is actually studying American Sign Language right now, um, the idea is that a habit is something you are so bound to, you can't separate from it. So it's like this. And actually, the hint for remembering it is like you're handcuffed to a habit. So it's a habit. Um, So that's what we're talking about. This study is dedicated to developing habits so that we can walk in lives of holiness and in heralding. They're also called, these habits are called spiritual disciplines. So I want to take a few minutes. I want to define what we're talking about. First, the word spiritual. The word spiritual means relating to or affecting the spirit or soul. So we're talking about something that's intangible. We're not talking about a bodily thing. We're talking about something that um, is present and eternal. Discipline, the definition is the controlled behavior resulting from training, teaching, instruction, and direction. So we're merging these things together. Um, In my notes, you're going to judge me, but I wrote, we are training the soul or soul training. And I realize that's super cheesy, but I bet you remember that. So we're soul training, and that's the truth. We are training our souls in habits of holiness. And this comes in a variety of ways. So it could be things like Bible study. It could be memorization. It could be prayer. It could be tithing. It could be fasting. It could be corporate worship, and many more. So our study over the next eight weeks is going to cover several of these topics. We're not going to cover all of them. This is not an exhaustive list, but we are going to stick to, we're going to define spiritual disciplines as things that are defined as disciplines within the Bible. So we are training our souls in habits of holiness. So I guess the next logical question is why? Like, what is the purpose for this? So the purpose of spiritual disciplines is being with Jesus and being like Jesus. No more and no less. I'm going to say that again. The purpose of spiritual disciplines is being with Jesus and being like Jesus. No more and no less. And the reason I say no more is because anything more, and we become like Pharisees. We become self-righteous. We become hypocrites. We start adding rules to things. 
Um, I know for me, I, I struggle with this, and sometimes I, I'll, it'll turn into, well, I'm going to do these three devotionals every morning, and if I miss one, then I'm not a good Christian. You're not going to find that in the Bible anywhere. Any more than being with Jesus and being like Jesus, we become Pharisees. And anything less, we become nominal Christians. And the word nominal means merely a name without any corresponding reality. And that's super harsh. A mere name without any corresponding reality. Hebrews 2.1 says, Therefore, we must pay closer attention, much closer attention, to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So, the purpose of our discipline is to be with Jesus and to be like Jesus, no more and no less. So later, um, when we are practicing these spiritual disciplines, and that's going to come in the coming weeks, um, I encourage you to ask this question before you start every single discipline. So before you start praying in the morning, ask, um, am I doing this to spend time with Jesus and to be like Jesus? Before you read your Bible, ask, am I doing this to spend time with Jesus and to be like Jesus? And if the answer is ever no, stop and examine your real motive. Find out what it is. Find out if you're trying to live up to something. Find out if you're struggling with some laziness in the moment. Um, Figure out what that motive is. Repent if you need to repent. And then focus on your priority, which which is being with Jesus and being like Jesus. You're going to hear this over and over and over again throughout the study. It's printed in there. You're going to see it because we fall prey to one of the extremes, to nominalism or legalism, one or the other. But I don't want you just to take my word for it. I want to dive into the word um, because my words don't carry life. And the Bible is full of passages about spiritual disciplines. And we're going to focus on a lot of them throughout the study. But what I want to focus on right now is in 1 Timothy. It's verses 4, 7 through 10. We're going to break this down piece by piece. So in 1 Timothy uh, 4, 7 through 10, it says, But have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness, for the training of the body has a limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. In fact, we labor and strive for this because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of everyone, especially of those who believe. So in this passage, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy about the purpose of spiritual disciplines. And we're going to break this down piece by piece. Um, The first thing he talks about is what not to do. So the first thing he says is, but have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. And I want to explain a little bit about what he's talking about. So in the verses just above, it's not on your paper, but I'm going to read them to you. um, Paul describes two types of people. He says, in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So in verses 1 through 3, Paul names two types of people. Um, The first type of people is, um, it's a group of people who focus on, like, oh, well, that's probably permissible, is probably the best way to say it. Um, 
their hearts, he says, their hearts and their heads have been so dulled that their consciences no longer respond when they go astray. In, I think in present time, that might look something like the way we sometimes let gossip go in the church, how that's kind of just a, a normal thing. Taylor? Um, we just, we kind of, that's, that's just part of it. That's what happens. Um, we just, we've been dulled to that in many ways. The second part is people who tack on extra rules to the faith. Well, you can't get married, single people, and you can't eat this, and you can't have that. All of these things. They add on these extra rules that are not biblical, that are not in the Bible. Um, I think modern day, that's kind of like, well, you should wear a suit on Sunday, and if you don't, you're not a Christian. Um, Those are just a few ideas. It could be a lot of different other things. But he tells us to stay away from them. One translation actually says but have nothing to do with the fables fit for only old women. Um, So when I read that, I think, like, I get this mental image of a bunch of old biddies sitting around on a porch somewhere, like, with, with their rocking chairs, and they're sitting there just gossiping away about who didn't wear their suit to church on Sunday. Um, We have to stay away from either side, because when we go to one side, our consciences are no longer even pricked when we go astray. When we go to the other side, we become self-righteous and we're judging everybody else and adding in all these extra rules. So Paul is telling us not to spend time on the words and thoughts of men, and that includes ourselves, and it's because we tend to be one of these two types of people. So, have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths, but rather train yourself in godliness. And I'm totally going to butcher this, but the word godliness in Greek is eusebia. How about that? Eusebia. All right. And it means someone's inner response to the things of God, which shows itself in outward reverence. Someone's inner response to the things of God, which shows itself in outward reverence. So what Paul is saying is train yourself on the inner so that it will be shared on the outer, okay? Train yourself on the inner so it will be shared on the outer. So we train our habits, okay? So that our inner response, our heart, and our head will flow out of our lives in holiness and heralding. That's what Paul is saying. Train yourself in your inner response so that the outer will come out. So Paul says, train yourself in godliness, for the training of the body has a limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way. So this kind of takes a weird turn because we're talking about spiritual disciplines and all of a sudden we move over and we're talking about a physical body. Now the reason Paul makes that comparison is because back in that time, the Olympics, well the Olympics is still huge, the Olympics was huge back then. They had gladiators, they had all sorts of training and races and things along those lines. Uh, Physical fitness was a huge part of Paul's culture. I would say that it's becoming a, a big part of our culture as well. So he compares physical growth to spiritual growth because he knows that people will get it. So there is some good uh, comparisons to be drawn. For example, let's say that you're you're really big into CrossFit. Um, I'm not really big into CrossFit. My former roommate was huge into it. So let's say that you want to go to the CrossFit Games and compete with Dan Bailey, all right? 
So you're going to compete with Dan Bailey. You're not just going to show up to the CrossFit Games completely unprepared, are you? Because you're not going to win if you show up that way. No, if you're going to compete in the CrossFit Games, you are going to hit the gym all the time. You're going to be working on your squats and your cleans. You're going to have all of it taken care of. You're going to be running sprints. You're going to be skipping. You're going to be doing all... That's jumping rope in Canadian. My roommate was Canadian. Um, You're going to be doing all of these things. You're going to be training because it's exertion, okay? Training. So that's one part of physical fitness. But the other part of physical fitness is eating the right foods. And so that's what you would do if you were going to train. You would take care of the right foods, make sure that you're eating the right things. You'd be practicing over and over and over again. And the same thing is true for our spiritual growth. And that's why Paul makes that comparison. Um, Because we can't just, I say, show up to the proverbial CrossFit games and be like, I'm an expert prayer. It doesn't happen that way. We have to practice it. It's weird to think that we have to practice those things. Um, But we learn these things by putting in that effort. We become um, better and understand more as we practice. So we practice daily. um, But then it also comes down to the right food. What food are we putting in our bodies to make sure that we're training well? So that's a comparison to the body. But Paul continues. So he says, for the training of the body has a limited benefit. So the comparison stops at some point. But godliness is beneficial in every way. So there's got to be a difference between the body and the spirit because the body stops at some point. Your training for your physical body isn't going to continue. Spirituality or godliness is better than physicality because our physical bodies are going to stop one day. We're going to decay. We're going to die. And I realize that's a, a very grave way to say it. But at some point, we lose our bodies. But our souls are forever. They continue on. And so Paul continues this. He says, um, rather, train yourselves in godliness. And he says, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. See, our souls are forever. And so that means that some of the training that we're doing right now, we're going to continue to use in the future. After our bodies are gone, once we are in heaven, we continue to use what we have trained for here. So there is benefit in continuing here. And I have to say, when I was reading this right here, the, that part that says, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come, it really never, ever occurred to me that some of the training that I'm going to be doing now is going to help me be a worshiper in heaven. I was really thinking, like, for the now. But it continues on. And so I went ahead and I looked up some of this. Um, I like to study. I like the theology. I like the head part. So the Greek word for promise, um, it's not going to be right. I'm sorry. Epigalia, we'll say. Um, It means promise, so it's translated pretty well, but it is used nearly always of God's promises. Every time it's used in the New Testament, it talks about God's promises. So this isn't just any old promise. This is God's promise, okay? So we have, since it holds God's promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And then the word holds, I thought it was interesting. It holds promise, like it's holding a bucket of water. Like it holds promise. So the Greek word, um, ikusia, I don't know. Anyway, that, it's used 15 times in the New Testament. 
And it, every time it's used, it's always in the form of physically having or holding something. Um, so some of the examples, it's like uh, the example of Mary holding the baby Jesus or the other Mary um, holding the alabaster box, uh, a woman having sickness, um, a woman who has 10 pieces of silver. So every time they are physically having or holding something. So we put those together. It's the idea of physically having or holding God's promise for the present and then also for the life to come. Um, I love that because it seems like God is allowing us to take ownership of this promise. So train yourself in godliness since we get to hold God's promise for the present life and for the life to come. Um, And by the way, this doesn't really have much to do with what I'm talking about right now, um, except that the the Greek word for hold, it's used 15 times in the Bible. Um, Six of those times, it's related to um, the angels holding something in the throne room of heaven. One time it's used in this verse, and the other eight times it's used with examples of women holding or having something. No men. So... There may or may not be something there, but I'm just wondering if that's God's subtle way of reminding us that we tangibly get his promises. So we discipline ourselves because it helps us to hold God's promises both presently and also forever. So our soul training is very important. That thing that you're struggling with, those thoughts that won't leave your head, the anxiety that continues to creep into your life, those things right there, spiritual disciplines help us to let go of the myths and the silliness that cloud our minds, the nominalism and the legalism, the I'm not good enough so I'm just not gonna try or the I'm so good I'm gonna keep going and I'm gonna be the best Christian there ever was. We let go of the silliness, we let go of the myths and we tangibly cling to God's promises instead. That's what spiritual disciplines do for us. So Paul continues, and he says, This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. In fact, we labor and strive for this. So he uses two words that I don't really like, labor and strive. Those sound easy, right? Super easy. No, they're not easy at all. They're very hard. We work hard for godliness. It's not easy. Um, Because if it were, it would be called a talent. And we aren't talented in godliness. It's not something I was gifted with. And so instead, we train for it. We develop controlled spiritual behaviors resulting from training, from teaching, from instruction and direction. And it's hard work. So at this point, you're probably thinking, why? Like, what's the purpose? Why do I do this at this point? Um, And so Paul answers that really well. He says, in fact, we labor and strive for this because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of everyone, especially of those who believe. So why put in the effort? Um, What hope do we have? And the answer is the hope of our God and our Savior, And as I read this, I just kind of get the image. Sometimes I get images, obviously, garbage disposals. I get images in my mind of of what 
um, what's happening. And I just imagine that Paul has um, this idea of us just running, 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 and we're striving so hard, and there is a prize set before us. And the prize is our perfect, wonderful, we shouldn't be allowed to even look at him, much less talk to him, living God. He is right in front of us. And instead of him just sitting there all snooty or killing us for even trying to come close, he's saying, run fast, run fast, run hard. I want you to know me so well. We have a prize that is set before us. But it's more than just a prize. We hope in our prize, which is knowing and spending time with the living God. We also get to hope in the power to carry out the discipline. We work and strive with the faith that he will give us the ability to complete this work. He's called us to it, and he will be faithful to complete it in us. So we, we hope in the power, we, op- we hope in his power, that as we are running, he is going to give us strength to continue on. And then we also hope in a precedent, um, because the ultimate precedent was Jesus, because he labored and he strived in obedience. The Son of God took off his perfect deity. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm laying aside my power. I'm going to be one of you. And he walked in perfect obedience as a human, even though he didn't have to, even to the point of death, to death on a cross. And so we have a precedent of our wonderful Savior who walked this out. And so because of his example in worship to him, we hope in the precedent, the prize, and the power. And so we have a response. Our response to this is simply a spiritual discipline. We purpose ourselves to be with Jesus and to be like Jesus. And that's the whole purpose of this study, being with Jesus and being like Jesus, no more and no less. So what we're going to do right now, um, we've got some time. We're going to um, take some time at your tables to talk through some of these things. And there's some questions. There they are right there on the screen. They're also on your, um, on your paper. And just talk through uh, with your table where you are with the five H's, your heart, your head, your habits, holiness, and heralding. If there's things coming up in your life, feel free to talk about those and talk about what might be holding you back, and what your next step is. So we're going to talk for about 20, 25 minutes, and then I'll be back.